a moment. I'll give you a second to turn your Bibles. Psalm 95. Right, let's say right in the middle of the Bible. Not quite. Just to the left of the middle. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I, I, I already said that I wasn't going to have you stand again. So I feel like I need to be a man of my word, and you may remain seated. But uh, I'm going to read uh, together with us for, um, from Psalm 95. So here is what it says. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The reading of God's word, amen. amen. Those of you who are standing can be seated. So we are uh, starting a new series uh, this evening. We just wrapped up our series, Love Like Jesus. Hopefully we won't stop loving like Jesus, right? Hopefully we'll continue to do that. Just because we finished a series about it doesn't mean we should stop loving like Jesus. But we're moving on into a new series uh, this evening entitled High and Lifted Up. It's going to be a four-week uh, series that's aimed at helping us to grow in our worship of God. How many of you would like to grow in your worship of God? Amen? We should all look to and desire to grow in our worship of God. Isaiah, this is where this phrase comes from, high and lifted up. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What an incredible image, right? Yeah, this room is a fraction of the size of the temple, right? And yet Isaiah saw God high and lifted up and just his garments filled the room, filled the entire temple. That is the picture that Isaiah paints uh, of God when he says that he sees him high and lifted up. And it's the image of God that we should look to maintain in our mind's eye as we work our way through this series, that we should continue to grow in our understanding of the greatness of our God, that we should continue to view him as bigger and as greater than ever before. That he's so high above us, right? His ways and his thoughts are so much better than our ways and our thoughts. He is high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And so we're talking about worship. 
That's what this entire series is about. And we're not just talking about singing songs, right? Because that's not all that worship entails. Yes, it does entail singing songs, raising our voices, lifting our hands, but worship can be better defined as worth-ship, that God is worthy of your life. He is worthy of everything that you have to offer. He is worthy. And so when you think about worship, don't just get stuck thinking about singing songs. Think about his worthiness. Think about his worth and how much value God is to you. We should look to communicate God's worth with our lives. Our whole life is worship. Our whole life is communicating back to the God of the universe, the creator, his worth and his value to us. And it's on display for the world to see. God, you are worthy. You're worthy of saying no to my flesh. You're worthy of saying no to sin. God, you're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my energy. You're worthy of my best efforts. God, everything I do, I do for you as unto the glory of my Lord. God, you are worthy. That is a lifestyle of worship. You know, we've recently spent a lot of time each week as a staff team. You see Pastor Tim preach often, more often than not. Uh, there's others uh, who are here who are on the staff team as well, not just myself. You have uh, Dana, am I missing? We got Mark who was up here on drums. I'm going to end up missing somebody and then I'm going to be embarrassed. But, but each week the staff gets together in a meeting and we plan out these services, and it takes much longer than you could ever imagine. Monday meetings are, are not the best, but we take a lot of time planning out what it is that we're doing here on, on the weekend, and we've been trying to make our services a more worshipful experience that reflects the worthiness of our great God. And over the next several weeks, we're going to discuss the elements of what we're trying to introduce into the service, including preparation, how you should enter into the church. You know how we come to church says a lot about what we're expecting to get from church, right? That if we come to church late, if we come to church with a bad attitude, if we come to church distracted, if we come to church for any of the wrong reasons, right, we shouldn't expect to get a whole lot out of our experience in church, but we should come to church prepared. We're going to be talking about adoration. That's what we just did. We together as the body of Christ with one voice lifted up the name of our God. That is adoration. And then proclamation, the proclamation of God's word and application, applying the word of God to our lives. These are the different elements that we're trying to infuse into each of our services. Now, there's a fancy word for this. It's called liturgy. Can you say liturgy? Liturgy, which is really just a fancy way of saying the form and order of our worship services. There is a reason why we do what we do, and that's what we're going to be talking about. Scripture is very clear that what we're doing here at church is critical 
to our growth as a believer, but also it's critical to the endurance of our faith. If uh, you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I personally know many believers who are not regularly in attendance at a church. They've matured past that point, right? That's what happens. After you've gone to church for a little while, you mature to this place where you don't need church anymore because you're holier than the rest of the people who attend. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. You're here, so I'm not talking about you. It's the people who aren't here. That's who we're talking about, right? But I know a lot of believers who are like that. And can I be honest with you? It says a lot more about that individual's disobedient and immature heart than it does say about the status of the church. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. You let him defend his church, right? We don't need to be picking it apart within the walls of the church. The church is doing just fine because Jesus is at the head. Amen? Amen. We need to be in church together. We need to be. So that way we can grow in our walk with God. And so that way we can endure in our walk in this world. It's difficult. It's a difficult world to live out your faith in. So while regular worship services are critical to your walk or our walk, they should not represent the entirety of your walk. This is only a small portion of what your life lived for God looks like. You're only here for an hour and 15 minutes. This can't be the only expression of your faith, just going to church and checking it off a box. If that's all your faith uh, it requires of you, man, what are you doing Monday through Friday, right? Going to church can't make up the majority of your faith. It should only be an expression of what God has been doing in your life throughout the week. Are you walking with him on a daily basis? Are you daily worshiping, your, are you living in a way that is speaking of his worthiness to the world around you? And this psalm says a lot about how we can be prepared to come to church and worship together as the body of Christ. And so we're going to pay careful attention to the structure of this psalm to receive all of the wisdom about how we should worship this psalm is broken up into two parts. And at first glance, it might not seem like they go together. Verses 1 through 7 and verses 8 through 11. The first part talks about the greatness of our God. And then the second part, as we'll see in just a few moments, takes a hard left turn. If we do not adequately worship God, we will not be able to listen to God when he speaks nor will we be prepared to obey his voice. True worship is a sign of genuine belief, and a refusal to worship is a sign of an unbelieving heart. By the end of singing Psalm 95, you will know whether your heart is soft towards God or if your heart is hardening toward him. And if you find that at the end of this psalm, that your heart is growing cold, don't be afraid. There's a remedy. His name is Jesus. Verse one opens with the first command about how we are to worship. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. 
Genuine worship is joyful. Genuine worship is cheerful. Yes, Christians can be happy. Whoa, oh my goodness. Christians don't have to be sad all the time. Christians don't have to walk around with a frown on their face, constantly feeling guilty for their sin. You've been freed from that, right? You don't have to have this constant feeling of low-grade guilt, right? You should be cheerful and joyful because of what your Lord has done for you. And genuine worship, real worship, is joyful. I was recently listening to a podcast with my wife. How many of you listen to podcasts? It's like the world we live in. I was listening to a podcast with my wife and I was cracking up in the middle of the podcast because they do this bit called Sing For Real, where they'll stop in the middle of the podcast and they'll make one of the people sing in their natural voice. So I'm gonna pick one of you out of the crowd right now to come up and sing one. I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna do that to you. Did you feel panic? Yeah, I saw you were like, I don't look, your eyes started looking down at the ground like, don't pick me. Sing for real, right? Sing in your natural voice, right? And so it just makes me cringe uh, thinking about it. But our worship should be natural and it should be cheerful. It should come from a sincere place. There should be exuberance in our worship as we join together. The psalmist says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, which expresses the joyfulness that we should have when we come into the presence of God. You know, there are many ways to enter into God's presence, but what we see here from the psalmist is that we should enter into his presence with rejoicing. Most importantly, this is genuine. It's a genuine response. It's not just a religious show, but it's an authentic overflow of praise from your heart that you genuinely love the Lord, that he matters to you, that you couldn't live life without him, that you are thankful for him. It's a genuine overflow, and it reflects your understanding of what God has done. The psalmist continues by saying, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And so what do we learn about genuine worship? Genuine worship is filled with rejoicing. But as we see in verse 2, it's also filled with thankfulness. Let us come into his presence with thankfulness. Genuine worship is not only full of joy, but it's full of gratitude. Are you thankful for what the Lord has done in your life? Are you? Yeah. Or do you have more to complain about than you do to be thankful for? If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest and we can get past, I don't have everything that I want or I don't feel good or I had a bad day. If we're honest with ourselves and we reflect upon the greatness of our God, church, you will find that you have much more to be thankful for than you do to be disappointed by in this life. We commonly come to church late and we murmur through worship while maintaining an ungrateful attitude, just hoping to get to the meal or the clothing room. 
Our services are a reflection of our worship life outside of Sunday. If you're not worshiping God on Monday, your worship on Sunday isn't fooling anybody. Certainly not fooling God because he wants you to worship him from your heart. He actually wants you to want to worship him. He wants you to love him because he loves you. That's what he's after. We have so much that we should be thankful for. You would think that in this generation, what has so many options available to us that we would be happier than ever before, but that's not the case, is it? We have more than we could ever imagine available to us at our fingertips, and yet we still find ways to complain. Just read the reviews on Amazon. There's no shortage of people who have a critical spirit or attitude. We are often ungrateful people, and this is especially true when it comes to our worship. However, the psalmist urges us to make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. When was the last time you opened your mouth and with your voice raised expressed appreciation towards God? When's the last time that you found yourself caught in a moment saying, God, thank you. God, thank you for my family. God, thank you for my church. Thank you for my friends. God, thank you for surrounding me with people who love me. God, thank you for saving me. For goodness sakes, thank you for sending your son and making a way for me to know you, to be adopted by you to be one of your children, not just one of your children, but to be a co-heir with Christ of all things. That's the truth. That's the reality about who we are, that we are co-heirs with Christ of everything. Because last time I checked, my God, my Father in heaven, who is the creator and the maker, is the maker of all things. And everything belongs to him. And oh, by the way, that's my dad. I'm his son. I'm his daughter right? I have so much, God, to be thankful for. Maybe this life has dealt me a rough hand, but I have an eternal promise. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So when is the last time that you took a moment to express appreciation to your God? We need to recognize that we have been blessed in ways that we don't always appreciate. Genuine worship is thankful, and next, the psalmist turns our joyful and thankful worship towards a heart of humility and helps us understand that real worship is reverent. Verse 3 begins by saying, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Genuine worship is reverent. You know, I tell my kids when we come to church, no running in the sanctuary do they listen? No. I try to tell them that. It's not because the sanctuary, whoo, it's because I'm trying to teach them that this is the house of God. This is God's house, right? And when we come into his house, we treat it a certain way, right? With reverence and with respect. Again, it's not about the building, it's really not. It's about teaching my children from a young age how to be reverent 
in their approach to God. Yes, man, boldly we approach his throne with confidence, but not flippantly, right? Not disrespectfully. We do it with boldness because of what Christ has done for us, and we do it with a heart of rejoicing and thankfulness and reverence. And this is where we can begin to see whether or not our hearts are soft towards God or if there is any hardness beginning to form around the edges. We started with joyful worship of God and appropriately thanking him, but now we see the real reason why. It is because he is king. How does that land with you? He is king, not you. He is Lord, not you. When's the last time you've been able to make anything happen for yourself? You haven't. The fact that your heart is beating and that air is filling your lungs, it's because your King and Lord, whether you acknowledge him to be so or not, is allowing for your chest to rise and fall with oxygen. God is King. He is King. So how does that land on you? How does it feel to know that God is king? And in a world that is all about individuality and taking control of your life and your future and destiny, how does that feel? He's not just any king, but he is the king above all gods. But notice how it's written. It's a little g, which means that these are created gods which means that if they've been created, they're no God at all because there is only one God who is the creator and the maker of all, and that is our God. He is king. The psalmist goes on to paint a picture of God's greatness. Just in his hand, it says, are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. From the highest peak of Mount Everest to the lowest point on the earth, the Mariana Trench, I looked it up on Google, from the highest peak to the lowest point on earth is contained in the hand of God. We are told that the sea is his, for he made it. The sea, which represents chaos and unpredictability, belongs to God, who formed the dry land with his hand. Creation is God's sandbox. Do you know what I'm saying? That is our God. He is the creator, he is the maker, and he is king. And thinking of God in this way should cause one response. The psalmist tells us, oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Is your heart softening or is it hardening? Are you willing to bow and kneel before the Lord your maker? Because true worship is offered in reverence and humility. And if you feel your heart hardening because of God's kingship, the psalmist helps us in verse 7 saying, For he is our God. He's not just any God, he's ours. The psalmist does something very clever. He says, And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Did you catch it? I'm going to read it again. He says that we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. It would have made more sense, wouldn't it, if he flip-flopped it? 
if he said that we are the sheep of his pasture and the people of his hand, but he wanted us to stop and reflect on the goodness of our God. He's not just king. He's a good king. We are his. He is ours. And he provides for his people. You're not even that good to yourself. So why don't you abdicate the throne of your own heart and allow God to take his rightful place? The next word found in verse 7 is the most important word of the entire psalm. Today. You can respond even now. The psalmist says, today, if you hear his voice, you can immediately start. You don't have to wait till I'm done preaching. You don't have to wait till you're in the car on the way home. In this moment, you can respond even now in your heart towards God, because as you will see, true worship prepares us to hear God's voice. You got to catch this with me. You can't separate verses one through seven where we're talking about the goodness and the greatness of God. You can't separate that from what we're about to hear in verses eight through 11 because verses eight through 11, God speaks. God is about to speak to us through his word. This is the voice of God. True worship prepares you to hear God's voice. It causes you to be sensitive to what God is saying through his word. And so if you want to hear the voice of God, you need to learn to worship him for who he is, joyfully, cheerfully, right? You need to come into his presence with expectation, prepared to hear God's voice. The time that the worship team is up here singing songs, it's all meant to soften your heart. So that way, as the word of God is open, you can hear his voice. Because there's no other way to hear the voice of God. If you want to hear God's voice, read his word out loud. There you go, you've heard it. This is the word of God, and we're about to hear God's voice in verses 8 through 11. And fair warning, it's about to take a hard shift. As we are about to hear the very voice of God speak, it's about to go in a completely opposite direction from what we expected. We can tell that it's God speaking because the pronoun switches to I and me. And as I said earlier, it can be tempting for us to separate the first seven verses from this psalm from the remaining four, but they must be sung together. Let me just read this before I finish up what we're talking about here. Verse eight, today, today, if you hear his voice, don't wait, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Do you want to enter into God's rest? Then allow your heart to be softened to his voice. 
We are warned, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. You can actually read about this account in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20 when the people disputed with God and tested him. They thought God brought them out into the desert to die of thirst, and they ended up mocking God and saying, is the Lord among us or not? This, after being delivered miraculously from the Red Sea, seeing bitter water made sweet, God literally providing food for them from heaven, the people of God still did not view him as their God, but instead they hardened their hearts toward him, which became a pattern for Israel, resulting in them being barred from the promised land and from God's rest. God said, for 40 years, I loathed that generation, which is better defined as disgust. God was disgusted with their unbelief and prevented them from entering his rest. A lack of true worship is always connected to unbelief. A lack of worship is connected to a hardened heart. Interestingly, this psalm is found in many churches' liturgy and in many churches' call to worship. It was a psalm that was also referenced by the writer in Hebrews, and it referred to uh, the Jews who left Christianity or left Judaism and converted to Christianity. The, the writer of Hebrews appealed to them not to return to their easier life and so forsake Christ. Can I do the same with you? Don't go back and forth on your commitment to the Lord. Don't long for the days that you used to have before you knew Christ. Don't wish that I could dip my toes in the things of this world and experience some of the fun that it would seem like they're having. Man, it must be so much easier. Don't allow your heart to foster unbelief towards God, amen? Don't go back on your commitment to Christ. This is uh, equally applicable to us as well. We need to be willing to do the hard work of looking inwardly to determine whether or not our hearts have become hardened, signaled by a lack of willingness to worship. You know, one of the indicators of this can be what our services look like as we gather together. I don't want to overstate my point, but for many of us, the weekend worship services represent the bulk of our worship and our walk with God, don't they? How much time did you spend with God this week? And is this the most time that you spent with God at any given moment? We are not making time for God in our daily lives, and we can barely be bothered to participate on Sunday. We show up late and as soon as church is over, we run out the doors. The thing is, preparation for Sunday begins on Monday. Begin to examine your daily routines to determine if your heart is sensitive to God or if it is hardening to God. If the psalmist had motivation to do this, how much more do we who know Christ, who knew God's wrath 
and personally felt the disgust of God's of God looking at him as though he were sin. You see, all of the sin of the world was laid on Christ. All of that shame, all of that guilt, all of that disgust that God had for sin was laid upon Jesus. We should be even more willing to worship God genuinely because the rest of the psalmist was talking about uh, was the promised rest available to them. That's the rest that's made available to us in Christ Jesus. It wasn't the promised land. It was eternity with God. That's been made real for us in the person of Christ. And it is secured for us in Christ. God doesn't want lip service and he doesn't care about church attendance. He wants a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth, who genuinely worship him because he is their God and they are his people. Genuine worship is joyful. Authentic, authentic worship is thankful. Real worship is reverent. And sincere worship prepares us to hear the voice of God so that we might obey, not under compulsion, but willingly. So today, church, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's respond to him in worship and come into his gates with thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? <clears throat> I want to pray for you, but before I do, I want to encourage you just with a benediction from God's Word. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you, God, for your Word. God, I pray that you would cause us and teach us, Lord, how to prepare our hearts to worship you for all that you're worth. God, I pray that you would cause us to be joyful in our worship. God, I pray that you would remind us of how much we have to be thankful for. God, I pray that as we enter into your courts, we would do so reverently. And God, that you would prepare us each week to hear your voice from your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Church.